Blog Talk Radio. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. And I am the light within your soul In the essence of truth and right Love makes the circle whole And here we stand in line Waiting for some sacred sign But to find the balance is the purpose of this time to restore the balance of the universal mind And in the presence of my Lord of light and love Everything I see aspiring to be free And when I call to thee And come on bending knee Surrender to the all-pervading light and love Reflections of the one surrounding me with love And I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence Within and without, above and below, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. Without and within, below and above, yeah, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. I sense your presence. the bird. 
purpose of this time To restore the balance of the universal mind I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence
and uh, getting ready to do some more for that, doing lots of prepping on that right now. And you can follow the events on my website for that, by the way, Jesse and Nichols George, the number one.com. I've got the dates up for the eight seasonal events already, and you'll uh, see that they're set up by regions. I'm still confirming in actual locations on those, but the dates are there in case you want to mark them off and save them on your calendar. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show today, make certain you tell your friends and family and share it with other people out there because, you know, what I find is when I'm sharing my shows with people, I start to talk about them, people are like, oh, that's just what I needed to, to learn about right now or that's just what I was struggling with and that would really help me out. And you just, you never know. You might change a life in the process of just clicking the share button. And that way they can use the same link, by the way, to get into the show that you use to come into the live show. They can listen to it at their convenience. In addition, they can go to my um, website, again, jessianniclesgeorge1.com, and on my page of the Main Street Universe tab, they're going to find all of the archived shows there. And in addition, they can get it as a podcast through iTunes, tunein.com, and it will go up on my YouTube channel. So, hey, whatever channel they like listening to it from, they can pretty much get it. (laughs) Now, before we get started on everything, let's Take a look. What I like to do is open up to a book called 72 Names of God, Technology of the Soul by Yehuda Berg. And Yehuda is a great Kabbalah master, you know, and, and I, I just really resonate with his work in a lot of ways because he just takes the big complex concepts out there and he breaks it down into this kind of everyday language and makes it really easy to understand in a lot of ways for us. So let's take a look and see what this is, and actually, uh, you know, as I was looking at this earlier today, I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have, I couldn't have picked a better one for the guests that we have today, and they're going to find out why <laughs> in just a minute. And the common name of God that we have out of the book today is Global Transformation. And the little message that he gives with this is actually a quote by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. And the insight he gives on this is, world peace begins within the individual. Before we can change the human condition, we must change ourselves. It is often easy to rally around a cause. It is far more difficult to look in the mirror and begin the work of inner transformation. If a beggar is in need of $5, and a passerby has only a nickel. He cannot fulfill the beggar's needs. In other words, we can only share what we possess. Before we can embark on a mission to change the world, we must first transform ourselves, change our ways, and attain true joy and fulfillment in our own lives. And if there is any doubt whatsoever that we ourselves still require further correcting, bear in mind the harsh Kabbalistic truth. That which our eyes witness out in the external world, all the evil, all the wickedness, is but a mirror image reflecting the remains of evil that lay hidden and undetected in our hearts. That's a pretty intense thing to think about right there. (laughs) But we're going to learn more about how to work with all of these types of things. And the meditation that he gives on this is, reflect upon the spiritual truth 
that world peace begins with peace in your own heart. With this name, you speed your own transformation and strengthen the forces of peace throughout the world. And again, the common name is Global Transformation. The more formal name on this is Ayen Shen Lamed. Ayen Shen Lamed. And this is going to be up also on my page of the Main Street Universe tab on my website. And if you go on there, I put it up there. It's available. You can go back and reflect on it during the week because that's what I like to do. I like to go back and work with my messages throughout the week and go, okay, where's my hat going to be at? And, and you know, what, what little things should I focus on this week? And, and I like to take these little pieces because I find that the layers keep opening. No matter how long I've been on my path and how proactive I am on it, new layers keep surfacing for me. And that keeps this interest and this excitement going in my life that I really enjoy because I keep learning. And the more I learn, the more I have to give. So it's, it's a great cycle to be in. Now, a little thought here before we go on break, and this is to get your mind ticking on our topic, so to say, today. What most captures your attention in those around you? What situations do you continue to find yourself in time and time again? What are your irritations trying to tell you? One of the key laws in the universe is that of reflection. In very simplified aspects, this is based on the concept of what you see around you, how others treat you, the situations you find yourself in are all reflecting on what is happening within you. They are aspects of yourself crying out to be paid attention to or resolved in some way. This can be a real challenge for some as they feel like they are oftentimes drawing in the opposite of who they are or may feel that they are a victim of circumstances. In my journeys, I've learned that there is always a message in these reflections. Whether I want to see it or acknowledge it or not, it is going to show itself to me. Like many, I have hit the wall of how can someone that is so malicious be reflecting me? I would think to myself, I don't want to take advantage of people, betray them, or go around being angry and self-pitying. However, I figured that these things were only going to scream louder until I got it figured out. So as I delved more into it, I began to see that what appeared to be polar opposites for me were really sending me messages. Perhaps it was that I needed to pay more attention to myself or that I needed to take more control of my life. When we're not doing something for ourselves, it will come to us as a reflection through someone else. So for example, if I'm not standing my ground or being decisive, then I will draw in controlling and bossy people that will tell me what to do. It is when we do not recognize the reflection in ourselves that we become angry and start blaming others for their behavior. However, I've learned that if we are giving ourselves enough love and fulfilling our own needs, we will not need to draw in someone else to do it for us in such harsh ways. Hans Wilhelm and Penny Cohen have teamed up to just to help people that are working with this universal law. And they're doing it in a really great heart-centered approach. And they work to help people get out of that anger that they have in dealing with the mirror through inner exploration. And, and I can vouch for this because Penny saw me last fall and she says, 
you still have some anger going on. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> Ugh. And I go, okay, I'm going to face this, and I'm going to deal with it. And I did. You know, I was very happy to be able to come back and tell her, Penny, I got it figured out. I, I got it dealt with. <laughs> and I find this important because when we do our own inner reflection, we can avoid getting the reflection through others. And yes, I get that others also have their processes and lessons going on that may lead them to choose behaving a certain way. But when they bring it in our lives, it is also about us. Basically, if you are not being responsible for yourself, then you're going to draw it in through those that will be like parents or other authority figures that will either force you towards that responsibility or will dominate your life until you become responsible for yourself. It is also important to ask ourselves where we are being just like what we are seeing. So, for example, if someone is angry and mean towards you, as you know, look at that and say, where are you being angry and mean in your life? If you search deep enough, you're likely to find it. And this can really show us what is unresolved in our lives that we don't even realize is still unresolved. What are others showing you about yourself? How easy is it for you to accept others as being a mirror of yourself? And are you willing to shift based on the reflections you are receiving? This week, our guests are focusing on a component of compassion related to the aspects in my book of not my problem. And if others are truly our reflection, then it is important to care about them while they are going through their challenges or in caring about them, you are really caring about yourself. I'm going to take a short break, and when we return, I will have Hans Wilhelm and Penny Cohen sharing their work in the Cosmic Mirror. And the song I've got for you during our break today is called A Walk in Epping Forest by Claire Hedin. And if you'd like to find out more about her work or connect with her or the music that she's doing, check her out on her website, www.clairehedin.com. That's C-L-A-R-E-H-E-D-I-N.com. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Intertwining amongst each other, 
And as I look up to the forest of the trees above, the tall, tall trunks reaching to the sky, to the sun, to the rain, everything has its place. Welcome back. You are listening to Activating Compassion Radio. My name is Jesse M. Nichols George. I'm your hostess. You were just listening to a song by Claire Hedin called A Walk in Epping Forest. And you can check out again more of her work at www.clairehedin.com. That's C L A R E H E D I N.com. And today I have with me Hans Wilhelm and Penny Cohen. And Hans Wilhelm is the best selling author and illustrator of over 200. That's right, you heard me right, 200 books for all ages with total sales of over 42 million copies in 30 languages. And with his new video project, www.lifeexplained.com, he helps you to see life from before birth, observe why we come into life, and witness what rules us. And, you know, you can check that out again on his website, lifeexplained.com. And then Penny Cohen is an LCSW, that's a licensed social worker, and is a transformational psychotherapist, relationship counselor, career and life coach, and lecturer and author of Personal Kabbalah, 32 Paths to Inner Peace and Life Purpose. And with her new project, Life Fulfilled, she offers new life-changing secrets, to overcome life's burdens, create your destiny, and live life to the fullest with ease and joy. And you can learn more about Penny's work at her website, www.pennycohen.com. And some of you might remember Penny because she's been on our show before and she brought to us some really great different aspects on relationships and on Kabbalah. 
And so now I get to welcome her back with Hans. Hans and Penny, it's absolutely wonderful to have you with me today. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, we are delighted. Or I'm delighted and honored, and it's a great pleasure to be on your show. And so am I. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's such a pleasure to have you here, and, and I just really appreciate both of you taking time out to be with us and to share your expertise because I know this is a huge thing. I was so happy when you told me that you wanted to work with this cosmic mirror work that you're doing, the, this law of reflection work, because... I feel like with all the influences out there in the universe right now and all the things that are happening, this law is heavy, heavy duty in effect. <laughs> but before we jump out there into to all of our topic stuff, I would love for both of you to give us a little insight about how did this work come to be for you? Uh, you know, what, what was your journey into doing this? You, whom would you like to start? You better mention the name, then we don't cross each other. Hans, you want me to start? Hans, how about you start? Uh, well, as you mentioned, um, I am a writer and illustrator of many books, and I do like the illustrations always. And I have been on the spiritual path for, let's say, 50 years. And um, something it was always difficult for me to understand when I read these complicated texts on spiritual path and since I am illustrating as well, and I see these things usually visually, I says, how about if we just try to illustrate it very simplistic, very simple, and so on, with very simple drawings of how the law of karma works, of how reincarnation works, and so on. And out of this came the idea to make a whole collection of many, many videos, which are very short, uh, in which I explain visually how all the dynamics of the spiritual laws affect us. And uh, I'd like to add, I was very impressed by your beautiful introduction where you basically outlined the whole content of our talk. But I was just wondering, I started when I sort of 20 years to really begin my spiritual path. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that very thing, what you have just outlined there, would be taught on all our schools, in all our schools, if kids would grow up that the outside world is their reflection. I know there are some schools who do that, which do that already. But what a different world we would have if everybody would, under, would know about this incredible law that whatever we perceive on the outside is nothing but a reflection of our inner beliefs. It most definitely would be a different world. And I, I really feel like out of all the things that, that kids should be learning, they should be learning the universal laws <laughs> completely. Penny? Yes. I, well, I agree with the universal laws, which are really based on laws of nature. And if we really looked at laws of nature, we would understand how we're supposed to act. And a little of my background is while going through divorce, rather than telling the whole detailed story, I closed off all emotions and decided to be happy and I went into a very high, clear, altered state where everything was bliss. The only thing is I wasn't allowing myself to feel. And one day I started crying hysterically. I mean, with these animalistic guttural sounds coming out of me, 
and I ran into my bedroom. My knees went down to the floor and my hands went over the bed, and I screamed, God, help me. And I felt this. I lay down in the bed, and I felt this incredible radiance surround me like soft pins and needles massaging my skin. And then I actually felt this warmth enter into me. And I remembered thinking, this is the feeling of love without having someone to love. This is true, unconditional love. And then I heard a voice, and please make sure I address this later so you all don't think I'm an egomaniac. And the voice said, you are a Messiah. And I remembered thinking to myself, a Messiah can save the world, I can't even save myself. And then I remembered thinking, a Messiah knows all, what do I know? And the voice said, all knowing is within and what you know will manifest in poetry. And I never wrote poetry, never read poetry. In high school, it would literally take me three hours to write three lines. So I talked the whole thing off as a hallucination. A few weeks later, I'm visiting my brother for the weekend, and I wake up in the middle of the night and write the first of about 2,000 poems that just came to me day and night from out of the blue. And although I lost uh, the high clear state, I kept writing poems, and I started questioning how can you get into that state in a healthy way. And over a 25-year period, I was guided to write the book called Personal Kabbalah, which is based on the Tree of Life. And what I realized is there is an outside force, a higher power that we literally communicate with. The poems that I was getting, answers, was really answers to questions I was asking internally. And they were coming back in the form of answers, a form of reflection, what goes out comes back and what I realized is we truly do communicate with a higher power and everything in our lives is a reflection of our relationship to this higher power which is the cosmic mirror and I like to think of it as a big domed mirror above us and what we put out in thoughts, feelings, speech, and actions literally is reflected back either into our own thoughts, feelings, and actions or other people reflecting that back to us. And that's basically the cosmic mirror. We attract people to us to give us lessons. And I think that at times that can be very challenging for people to accept. I mean, you've got a lot of uh, 
soulful people out there, healers out there that are going, all I want to do is help. All I want to do is heal people, and this is what I do on a daily basis. Why am I standing in the middle of this group of people who are (laughs) selfish or angry or whatever the the mood is there, Um, you know, and and they're thinking, I'm not getting it. I'm not... (laughs) How can that possibly be me? What do you say about that, Hans? Well, anybody who thinks that they are the great healer, the one God sent and whatever it is to to make this world right, surely has a little problem, I think. (laughs) To firstly, really, I think, has to learn a little bit more humility. And uh, I don't think we are here to heal the world. We're here to heal ourselves. And in that process, we are hearing healing or what I call clearing up the world around us. If we no longer have any kind of uh, negative beliefs or whatever it is, we basically will only project positive things. Or I like to take the example like we have got, um, and in our head is a, slide, a movie projector, and the movie is running uh, down and uh, projecting an image onto the screen of our mind. And on that movie are all our beliefs. Our beliefs are also our judgments. Are basically one and the same. And the light behind in the projector that projects this whole thing onto the screen of our mind is basically divinity. It's God. It's life. It's a chief force, whatever you would call it, which makes this reality, this fake illusionary reality, happening for us. For, for as long as we have beliefs on our real film, there as long will we see all these things on the screen. If we have got a landscape, let's say, on this, in our movie, we will see a landscape on the screen. And the landscape represents, let's say, a form of belief. It can be a benign, it can be a serious one, it can be a horrific one, whatever it is. But as long as we have a belief, we also see something on the screen of our mind. And I think it may be our goal and our attention to purify our real of beliefs as much as possible the more we take away those beliefs the more light can stream through the film and project a much clearer whiter and more beautiful image on the screen of our mind which in a way for me is a symbol of enlightenment take away the beliefs and the pure light of divinity comes through us this is what the divine beings, angels, and so on are. They are creatures of light. They do not have any beliefs. Once you are in this higher spiritual fields or areas closer to divinity, you do not believe. You know. It's very, very different. We have adopted the idea of beliefs, which come from the uh, false belief of separation. When we are born here and to this planet, We believe we are separated from everything and particularly from God divinity. And as a survival tool, we now watch everything around us and develop beliefs and judgments. There is our aunt with a big nose who is very nasty to us. Thus, everybody in future with a big nose is no good. There is the aunt with the red hair. She gives us sweets and is always nice to us. Thus, everybody in future with red hair is a wonderful person. These little beliefs are formed mostly in our childhood, unless they're coming from a previous lifetime or taken over from 
grandparents or whatever it is from the environment. But we have to let go of all these judgments because they are all judgments, and all judgments include either negative or positive. We are either attracted to it or we resent it. And only once we understand that everything in life is neutral, we will then slowly get to the level of love and acceptance of everything and embracing everything. Penny, you can add anything to that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you said it all, but I would like to add, as I usually do, um, First of all, I would like to address um, Jesse's question about healers still attracting either mean people or negative people in their lives. I have a real bias about this in that a lot of healers can go out of body and they can foretell somebody's future or even tell them about their past lives Some can even read their grid lines, but they haven't healed themselves internally. Yes. And that's what needs to be done. We still have to heal ourselves. We have to heal, like you said, Hans, our negative or self-limiting beliefs, and I also add our emotional charges. And until we heal those we're still going to keep attracting negative karma, negative people, negative opportunities and situations to us. Because, again, it's still a reflection of what's going on inside us that we're attracting to us. If we're down, if we're negative, if we have self-doubt, we're going to keep attracting those situations to us. And you mentioned something, Hans, about judgment. And, of course, one of my biggest posts that I post fairly often is whatever we judge in another means there's something in ourselves that we haven't resolved. Meaning, if we resolve it, another person could be still be doing the same thing, but it won't bother us as much. And we'll actually have a better ability to help them work through it. I think this is an important point. When we say the healer says he, doesn't, he is surprised to have all these negative uh, people around him, once the healer has started working on him herself, then these negative people may not disappear. He may not see the negativity in them anymore. Thus the people may stay, but suddenly the negative people which he projected on them is no longer there, and that's how the healing takes place. The people may not necessarily change. They can change, but it is his view of the people which change once he has or she has healed her negativity within herself. Right. In other words, we... Go ahead, Jesse. You're both bringing up some good points, and, and, uh, you know, with healers, I I observe a lot of what you're saying here because... Uh, kind of like I know a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists that go in their profession to fix their own problems, <laughs> you know, or to to explore things that they've, they've been challenged by. Um, I know a lot of healers that go in to heal people because they're feeling a pain that they're not addressing in themselves. 
you know, they, they're not wanting to deal with their own pain, so they're wanting to redirect that energy and heal somebody else. Um, but it never quite, you know, helps them get past what their their struggle is. And, and that's where I see them continuing to draw, you know, draw in people. Um, it's a very, very similar thing there. Go ahead, Penny. You know, it's very interesting. When I first became single and started learning more about myself and feeling better about myself, <laughs> when I first became single, I vowed I would help every woman be, who was single and stay up all night long, and I'd stay up till 3, 4 in the morning. However, as I got a little stronger and more of a sense of myself, I didn't need them to need me anymore. And I was able to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. So part yeah. of it is almost the need to be needed. And yes, what we do for others often is an avoidance of what we need to do for ourselves. True, yeah. I mean, I I did a, a big group presentation and there was a very famous healer it from the area anyway in the group and she raised her hand and she said you know i'm so great with healing other people i really can see their past lives and their future lives and their grid lines she says but i feel like i'm disintegrating mm-hmm. Well, it's also one other aspect comes here. That comment, for instance, will reminds me sometimes healers and people who have should channel and so on may also get into contact with negative energy, which is a totally different subject. We won't talk about it. But sometimes healers, which in some way, if you are exhausted by your giving, then most, cha- most likely you may be connected to an energy which is draining you, is using you. So I would be careful of a healer who is exhausting themselves in the healing process. That is not the way it ought to be, unless they are guided by semi-powerful beings who use the healers for their own personal goals. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Hans, because healers often do pick up the energy of the people they're healing. Right, as well, yes. You know, and that's where we can get exhausted by it. But mm-hmm. this also is a reflection. If we're picking up their energy, it still means there's something in us that needs healing. Like attracts like. Surely we can only pick it up because it is in us first. That's why we can only have an influenza, a flu or whatever it is, because we are on that very vibration of the flu germ. Otherwise, we couldn't get these, uh, the information. The same thing. So we have to have the vibration first to be affected by anything. So, yeah, like attracts like. And that's an interesting concept as well that goes hand in hand with this, uh, Hans. We have to have that uh, that peace somewhere in us that is feeling insecure to draw insecure people in or that peace uh, that is feeling out of control in order to draw controlling people in to our life, um, it, or that is doing the controlling either way. And and I agree, Penny, I know of a lot of healers who are empathic, and so they're 
they're channeling energy and and they're taking all those feelings of what's happening for somebody. And yet I think there's also another piece when we're looking at the law of reflection. So many times we see something come out of somebody, uh, whatever that emotion or mood or attitude is, whatever it is, a way of being um, or existing, and we're so busy trying to fix it. And we can't fix it. They've got to fix their own stuff. But we've got to think, what inside of us maybe is having the need to fix people? And Penny, you alluded to that. It was you needed others to need you. Sometimes we need others to come in with all these problems so that we can be reminded how great we are, that we have this ability to heal as opposed to just you know, doing this work for ourselves and just maintaining the space. Well, that reminds me of Sigmund Freud's famous quote, is saying the most difficult thing in all his work was that most people don't really want to be healed because we, our ego finds it very, very uh, seductive to be sick, to be the, the suffering one, to be the victim, to be whatever it is. A lot of people just want to use their negative side, which is victimhood or whatever it is, and, um, and uh, don't wish to really truly let go of it because you can cash in on it. You get sympathy. You get affection. You get a seat in the railroad and whatever it is. You get a lot of benefits from it. So many people do not really want, although they go to healers, whether psychiatrists, therapists, or whatever, to be healed, but deep down they have an attachment to their illness. And I think that needs to be explored as well. Firstly, I think before, do you really, 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 really want to be healed? Bernie Siegel said the same thing. The first thing to find out whether somebody really wants to be healed with cancer is, do they really have a purpose? Do they really want to be healed? Don't waste your time on somebody who doesn't really want to be healed. Well, he didn't say that. But, I mean, there's a difference between a person really wanting to be helped or somebody who uses the illness to sort of get a certain form of attention, a specialness out of it, which is very, very prevalent. I really agree with that, Hans, I think, um, and, and I've seen that in people. I've, I've dealt with that with people around me. Um, matter of fact, Penny has heard my situation <laughs> in various times where I said, man, as soon as I took all the excuses away from everybody and this as soon as, as they said, well, we just don't want to change. <laughs> mm-hmm. And before I moved out of that situation, <laughs> um, you know, before I knew it. I think one of the first change to do, be willing to do that for any person, I mean, there are various different ways to change our beliefs, but I think for me the first one is to surrender. That is when the ego gets challenged totally surrender. I am now ready to truly want to change. I no longer want to be the one I was. To surrender to divinity, to your Christ spark in yourself or whatever you use for, for the transformation. But I think the, trans, the willingness to fully surrender and be getting, admitting I'm totally tired of this pattern in my life, which totally upsets me. I want to make a change. I think Step number one, I would say, is probably truly surrender. The willingness to now totally let go of, I want to fix it, 
let someone else fix it like a divinity or use some techniques. There are many different techniques how we can change our beliefs. There are therapists. But you must be inwardly willing to totally surrender your old program. I really agree on that. And and it's a very proactive process. And as you were talking, Hans, it, it brought me to an aspect that plays in with people who don't truly want to make the shift of the changes or be healed, so to say, um, because there's a piece that goes with that called responsibility. And these days and times, man, we're having to step up and be responsible whether we like it or not. <laughs> the universe has got planetary alignments out there that are saying, if you think it hurts now, just wait a little while longer because the responsibility that you're not taking is going to hurt even more. Uh, and I'm I'm seeing that, and I feel like uh, that that's just a big piece. We have to be responsible for our own processes, our own healing, our own work, um, and you know, and and in doing that, uh, some of these other aspects that are reflecting in us, whether that's people trying to control us or whatever that may be, uh, tends to start falling away because they don't know how to operate once you start being responsible. What do you think, Penny? Well, uh, you know, the word responsibility is a trigger for a lot of people uh, because it sounds like, you know, you have to take action, you have to become a leader, and that is true. But I like to use change the word responsibility to respondability. In other words, we don't have to do anything. We have to learn how to respond to what comes and to respond from a state of peace. And actually, I would like to uh, go back for a minute because I mentioned I heard a voice that said you were a messiah. And what I came up with over 25 years of researching is we are all our own Messiah, capable of reaching a state of peace within ourselves if we work on transforming our negative thoughts, our self-limiting beliefs, our repressed emotions, and our dysfunctional behaviors transforming them to peace and love, which is a form of surrender, which is what Hans mentioned. And so the responsibility is really learning how to respond without a charge, respond from love, and that's when there's no reflection. You have to get any. Go you have ahead. to get that from being very angry with your mother-in-law or whatever it is. Suddenly, oh, oh now I must be from love. That is the key. How, how do the question? We can talk about beliefs, and so we have to find out how we do it. We understand the dynamics, but I think the key is how do we really, in practical terms, jump from this anger or the frustration or the whatever it is to that peaceful thing which you mentioned, this peaceful place. What techniques can we apply here? Well, there's a number of different techniques. Um, One that I actually developed is a way of processing after the fact. In other words, I hate my mother-in-law. That means there's some reflection in you. 
Where do you feel the hate in your body? Generally, it would be in the heart or chest area. Then you ask, what does this remind me from childhood? Well, maybe it was a mother or a sister or a teacher yelling at you in the same tone of voice or criticizing you in the same tone. And then you ask yourself, what belief did I formulate about myself then? Well, the belief might be I'm not good enough in her eyes. And then we actually unconsciously formulate a decision about how we're going to live our lives. And it could be, well, I I better be quiet so she won't criticize me. Or I better speak up in an angry way so she hears me. And those decisions create the way we act and react to people. And if we become aware and really realize that we're the ones that formulated these beliefs and feelings, took on these feelings, we can actually forgive ourselves for having taken them on. And that's where I do a bit of Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian prayer of saying, I'm sorry for taking on these beliefs and holding on to these feelings. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. And that's generally when we feel a tremendous release. Because any time we have developed a self-defeating belief or a decision that may guide us to uh, dysfunctional behavior, we're going against ourselves and the divine. We're saying you're no good. We're saying I'm not important or I'm not good enough. So we're going against ourselves, our higher self. And that's what we're asking forgiveness of. I'm sorry for saying that I'm not good enough or you're not good enough. Forgive me. I love you. Then there really is a tremendous release, which you can rate on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being the highest. And then if you ask yourself, how can I deal with this better in the future, in a similar situation, you'll come up with an intuitive, creative idea rather than an imaginative one. In other words, we're often told to say affirmations and imagine what you want, but it might not be exactly what's right for you. But after you release that emotional charge and ask yourself, how can I deal with this better in the future? you'll come up with an intuitive response that's just perfect for you. I can completely relate to what you're saying, Tenny, um, in multiple ways, and I've I've used many similar techniques, um, same components as what you're talking about, and 
I would say particularly in the last few years, have just made gigantic breakthroughs. Um, I think that some people, as they start to make these breakthroughs, they get afraid of the people that are leaving their life, you know, that are not willing to take the journey with them, so to say, and and make the shifts and the changes as well. And it's kind of it's an interesting shift when you stop needing mirrors <laughs> in your life. And I recently had a point that, you know, I looked at everything and I said, wow, here I am getting ready to go back on tour again. And I've got this little pause, and I, I understand the aspect of pauses and this and that. And I, I thought to myself, sure, you know, who, who wouldn't love to be in a hotel room every night or things like this? But I thought to myself, you know, what am I going to do this year to enjoy it even more? To enjoy it even more. If if I'm dealt with some circumstances, how am I going to take those and enjoy those? And it, it reminds me of times that I recently revisited, as I've been out here in Southern California, some aspects of um, of uh, people who um, who what do I want to say? I, I revisited some aspects of my own childhood and came back around to. Um, to where we used to have these things at camp and I had to, you know, create designs with whatever was there. You had to use what you had, basically, was the thing. And it was fun, you know. It was like we, we made it fun in that process. So what you're saying is no matter what you did or the process you used, you turned it into fun and happiness. Hello? I'm still here. <laughs> did we lose you? Oh, I, think, I think we lost I'm Jesse. Sorry, I'm sorry, oh. Penny. Can you repeat that? It it sounds to me like whatever you decided to do in the process you did, you turned into fun and happiness no matter what. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, yes, that's a choice. It's all a choice to deal with the people in our lives with compassion or anger? I'd like to add a little bit to the wonderful suggestion you had, Penny, about the Ho'oponopono, saying that um, I am sorry, please forgive me, I, and thank you, I love you. Um, I think it's very important to understand that this is not to be said to the person we are angry with, not the, uh, not the mother-in-law. That is to be said to divinity, because we have made the mistake of not seeing our nasty mother-in-law or whoever that person is as perfect and as pure because that person is always pure it is only our projection which make us believe she or he is angry and the this is our, is our as you said earlier jesse we have to take 100 percent responsibility and when we take 100 percent responsibility we they say, then say i'm sorry <coughs> please forgive me and thank you to divinity because we have erred in that view 
not to the person. The person came into our life as an angel. As in the conversation, God says it so well, I only send you angels. And everybody, the most nastiest, most obnoxious person, is nothing but an angel coming into our life in this particular moment to teach us a lesson. They have taken on a very difficult role as an alcoholic, as a drunk, or whatever it is, to just reflect something back to us. So they are not at fault. If we apologize, I'm sorry, I, did, uh, I forgive you or whatever it is, we use some condescendence here. And we think, I'm fine, and they are wrong. We are saying, I am very sorry to divinity and confirm that the person who we thought was angry or is angry is actually a pure being, perfect being. And once my own part is cleansed within myself, I will see that this was nothing else but an angel. And that's an interesting perspective, too, Hans, to, to think about that aspect that somebody else has actually come in taking on this really harsh role yes. <laughs> to help us learn something. That's a, Every well, moment you know, the, of our life is the cosmic uh, uh, mirror in action. Every tiny little emotion that we have for anything, where we look, where we see and things, is a message coming back to us from stored karma, telling us now is the perfect moment to purify it, to clear it up. There are no coincidences, which means every emotion we have is something of the past that somehow at this very moment, because we are strong enough to deal with it, this is the right situation. And if we have to make go and ask somebody else for forgiveness because we have done something wrong, this is the moment to do it. So the cosmic mirror works 24 hours, and whatever we perceive in us that may, gives us an emotional reaction, that means we have to clear something up. I, th I remember Dr. DiMartini said it so well, all emotions are lies, which means that whenever I have an emotion, maybe even the positive one, the exciting one, the exhilarating one, is a lie because I'm seeing something as only having something wonderful, nothing negative. But in truth, everything is balanced. Everything is yin-yang. And whenever we make a distortion in our judgment, which is our beliefs, then we are having a distorted view of reality. So it is up to us to understand that everything is perfectly balanced and to see this perfect balance in everything so that we can come back to what Penny said earlier, that quiet place in us. And did you have something in there, Penny, that you were going to say? Well, you know, the thing about the Ho'oponopono and also people coming to us, um, this concept was popularized by Hugh Len, who was a Hawaiian sage, but also a psychologist who was working in a ward of criminally mentally ill patients. And by just saying their name, he believes that everybody in our lives is in our lives for us to heal some part of ourselves or our ancestral lineage. And if we do this Ho'oponopono prayer, we help clear ourselves. So as a psychotherapist, I have a lot of people coming to me. And as they're talking, I'll be doing the Ho'oponopono. I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you, and thank you. 
which helps keep me clear and also heals me and my ancestral lineage. You're talking about you personally, yourself. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, uh, to me, everything is myself. True. Mm-hmm. Everything is me. I remember one of the first big workshops I did, it was about a group of 100 people, and I said, I am God. And they looked at me like I was nuts, you know. And then I look up and say, right, God? And I do believe that, of course, I am a part of God, and I am a creator just like God is, and that I create my life. And I once said this to an Orthodox rabbi. I said, I believe I'm God. And he looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, well, I create my life. And he said, well, looking at it from that perspective, you do. He said, however, there's a system and a plan. I said, how do you know that? He says, well, just look at the stars and planets and the earth revolving around the sun. Uh, moon and and everything is in balance and look at the geese that fly and if one dies they leave the space and I remembered thinking about when I was in Guadalajara, Mexico and I looked down on a cement path and there's um, a community of ants carrying these huge leaves on their backs really working in a very definite pattern And then when I was on safari in Tanzania, um, you can see the wildebeest travel with the zebras because the zebras have better memory apparatus while the wildebeest can sense danger better and they work together. And you can see that there is a system and a plan here. And then the rabbi said, well, there's a system and a plan It means we have a purpose in this system, and we have to find that purpose. And my contention is when we find our purpose and concentrate on that, we no longer have to reflect other people or they reflect us because we're in our own energy field doing what we love, living with passion. And I do believe that's what's the, the one of the answers, so that we don't keep reflecting and projecting. We get into our own energy field and start working to fulfill our own purpose. And that kind of brings it full circle where we... Uh, you know, our, we come back to focusing on ourselves. Exactly. And that's where I started with everything is me. Mm-hmm. Everything is right. me. I mean, even if you th- think about this, what I see in you is my thinking. What I perceive you might be thinking of me is still my thinking. What I think of you is my thinking. 
My <laughs> thoughts go out to the universe, that big dome above my head, and that's what comes back. So everybody in my life and everything that comes to me is still a reflection of me. So there is only me in this world. In your own reality, yes. Me, yeah. (laughs) Which is a very interesting concept to entertain. (laughs) (laughs) There is no one else. Or everybody else is me or a part of me. Showing me something about me. And and I feel like, you know, there's always two sides to every coin, which I brought up a couple of weeks ago when I talked about polarity. And, you know, which side of the coin we're going to see is going to be about where we are. Until we see that each side is perfectly balanced and there is no better and no worse side. Both have to have a justification. And when we see in the total symmetry of life, everything except divinity itself it has, is a duality in this universe. There are other universes where the, where the polarity is four, five, up to 12 different polarities. These are concepts we cannot comprehend with our brain. But in ours, we only, thank God, have two. And it is our duty, and, our, and I think it, it, it's prudent for us to understand that everything is totally balanced. The thing, the, the wonderful lover whom we fall in love with, is also beautiful and wonderful, etc., surely does a certain have another side. And the horrible person we have just met also has another positive side. And this applies to every situation. You can talk it, you can take it to war. Even war has a positive side. You can take it even to illness, which has a positive side. We can look into all subjects, whatever they are, we can find, if we are open, the other side to balance it. And when we truly understand and appreciate both sides, that thing which bothered us until now no longer can bother us. It has lost its power because we have appreciated both sides of the coin. And and that comes back full circle, Hans, to what you were talking about earlier as far as clearing up judgment. Because when we clear up judgment, we're no longer, as you say, looking at two different sides of things. We're looking at basically purpose, in a sense, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at it saying the car is not good or bad. The car gets us from point A to point B. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, as so far as projection goes, we have to remember whenever we judge somebody, again, it's in ourselves, and I can give some personal examples where um, my husband, before retiring, was a marketing man, and he was a um, in-between man between the manufacturer and the distributor. And one day we're driving into the city, and he said to me, well, I have a meeting set up at the next business conference with the manufacturer and the distributor. And I went berserk. I said, how can you do that? If you introduce them to each other, they're not going to need you anymore. 
And he very calmly said to me, well, I trust people. All they have to do is, excuse my friend, screw me once and I won't use them anymore. Well, I was beside myself. I couldn't believe he would do something like that. And I I really do pride myself in practicing what I preach. So I had to reflect on it. If I'm judging him for being too trusting, what's going on in me? And I, doing the process that I said earlier, what does this remind me of from childhood? Well, as a little girl growing up in Brooklyn, my father owned a body and fender shop in a very high crime area. And he always said to me, you've got to watch your back. You can't trust anyone. And so I had developed a belief that you can't trust anyone anyone. And when I worked on processing the fear, and that, of course, over my lifetime, I was married, I certainly could trust a lot of people in my life. And I was able to change that belief. And what he did no longer bothered me anymore. And everything worked out just fine. Yeah, it's all the judgments. It started off, you know, this is the judgment we take over, judging, 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 that creates our personas, and we have to dissolve them one by one by one by one, one judgment after the other, after the other, after the other, and question whether the thought or the belief we're having is actually true. And if we do the Byron Katie uh, method, I'm sure you have shared that with your listeners, Byron Katie has this wonderful four questions of any kind of distressing. We can ask any distressing thought or belief um, and a turnaround, which will help us to clarify uh, that what we believe is actually not true. And uh, we have all the time believed this, and we have never really questioned it. And questioning our thoughts and belief is one way of getting rid of it. As I said earlier, our emphasis uh, should be really on all the different methods we can apply, because not every method is right for everyone. But there are quite a few. I like the Ho'oponopono, which Penny mentioned before. But Byron Katie is another way which we can apply. And those of you who are not familiar with her work, I suggest you look up their web- her website. It's called thework.com. I've done several books together with Byron Katie, um, uh, giving the idea on uh, about how it works. It's a very simple process, and this is something which I have been always amazed. Uh, by, uh, Katie has got many videos on her website, all different problems, topics, what illness, the death, or whatever it is, and with a few questions, suddenly they evaporate. And it doesn't work for everyone, but it works for a lot of people, and I have been just amazed by, by the simplicity of, of, of all these things. See, some people relate more intellectually, which her process seems to do well by processing more intellectually and trying to understand. Then there are more emotional processes, uh, which is what I concentrate on. Where do you feel the core feelings in your body? Because a lot of people express feelings such as being abandoned, being betrayed, being depressed, being frustrated. And that is, those words are not core feelings. That's how we feel most of the time as a result of the way other people are treating us. But if we can get to the 
core feeling beneath being frustrated or betrayed, that's when we can heal it. So there are ways of healing it emotionally. There's a way of healing intellectually. Emotional freedom technique is another way. Um, But even there, if you can get to the core belief, it's easier to free it. And um, Would you like to explain a bit about the, the emotional freedom technique? You just mentioned the name. Not everybody is familiar with that, Penny. Okay, emotional freedom technique is a way of tapping on acupuncture points or acupressure on different parts of the body which help you open to the unconscious and bring up some of the unconscious or subconscious beliefs and feelings in order to release them and the energetic blocks inside us. And it's quite effective. And even then, if we can get to the core belief, it's even more effective. I'm I'm sorry, core feelings. It's even more effective. And just very briefly, I'll go through the core feelings. If we feel tension in the shoulders and the neck, that's generally shame, grief, or powerless. If there's tension in the heart or chest area, it's generally hurt, sad, lonely, and I'm probably one of the few therapists who say hate, meaning not the act of hating, but sometimes we have a real feeling inside us that if we admit the hate, that's generally when it subsides. And the solar plexus or stomach area is generally fear. And those are basically the core feelings. And if we can identify them and let ourselves feel them, that's when we can heal them. And I highlight the word feel them because I believe most people think their feelings rather than feel them. Meaning... I might have somebody who comes to me and she says, I've been crying for two, three weeks straight. My husband wants a divorce. And I'd say, well, are you allowing yourself to feel what you might be feeling, fear, sadness? Oh, yes, I've been crying for weeks. And I said, well, where do you feel it? And she'll say, in my head, which means you're just thinking it. But you have to really feel it in the trunk of the body, between the neck and the genital area. That's where the key feeling points are. And again, if we can let ourselves feel it, sometimes just identifying and focusing in on that vibration and let any thoughts go around it, we can get to the love beneath it. Or we can do the process that I stated earlier. And I think this is really important that you're bringing this up for people to identify this way, Penny, because I agree there's a lot of people that are thinking things 
thinking their feelings, but they're not actually feeling the feelings. They're not actually in motion, in action with them. And you brought up grief, and that um, it's very interesting to me, you know, when you talk about that being related to the shoulders and the neck, because this is a big thing that uh, several people I know have been observing is we have all these shifts and changes going on in the world and all these cycles happening on us and people aren't grieving the the, the shifts and the changes and the endings and the cycles and, and things like this. And it's interesting that we're seeing more and more things come up uh, physically in people that are related to maybe the nerves in their neck or um, stiffness in that region of their body, um, carrying themselves in this harsher, stiffer um, positioning. Right, because I believe 85, 90% of illness is psychological, or at least starts with the psychological meaning um, when I made a big move, I got married and moved to Pennsylvania. It was the first time I was away from my family. I developed a urinary tract infection. Fear. The lower part (laughs) is fear. Okay? And a lot of people will end up getting neck aches or shoulder aches or TMJ, and that's because they're not processing perhaps shame, which is that area, or even powerlessness. People are afraid to admit that they're powerless. But if we admit it, we're in our truth, and that's when it subsides. And like Hunt said before, we've got to surrender and open to the divine. So if we admit and feel the feeling of powerlessness and then let it go, that's when we're open to incredible empowerment because we're connected to the divine. So in a sense you're saying that if we avoid owning these feelings, the outer world is going to continue to run us. It's going to continue to control us in a sense. Exactly. When we own these feelings, we then own our world again. Exactly. Not the other people are running us, our beliefs. (laughs) It's only us. Our beliefs are running us, our false beliefs, because the other people out there are not really there, as Penny said earlier. uh, It is only our beliefs which makes us think that they are in control, in charge, hate us, dislike us, or whatever it is, but our beliefs which we have projected onto them. We can't blame other people for anything. We, as you said earlier, Jesse, we are 100% responsible, even in our most miserable situation where we think and if there are some people doing something to us, it is our 100% responsibility. They are not doing anything to us. We are doing it through our beliefs. And, and that's the key thing for us to remember to come back around is that it's our beliefs. It's not necessarily fact or truth or so-called reality. It's our belief of what's in the situation. Um, Yeah, I remember a friend of mine, 
his grandmother. He loved his grandmother. He was, oh, she just, uh, she was an angel and whatever it is. And everybody else in his family hated her. She was the most wicked, the nastiest, whatever it is. So the grandmother is, was totally neutral. One person saw her as an angel. The others all saw her as the devil and says, this is typical. It's not the people out there which gives us a hard time. It's what we project onto them. Our beliefs, our false beliefs, our, our judgments which we have adopted from the environment, from our growing up, or from previous lives. Which generally yeah. comes from these core feelings, avoiding these core feelings. But they are, uh, they are usually uh, the, 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 um, the signals. They obviously, I mean, uh, if I see a, suddenly a woman with a big nose, which I grew up with as being a nasty person, um, I see that, and immediately the belief comes up and says, this must be also a bad person. And then I've got all the tension and the hate or fear or whatever it is. So it starts always with the belief. With, with, uh, uh, with uh, I'm going to disagree with that. Okay. It comes with a sensory perception. Yes, with the impact. Meaning, meaning, I'm a little kid and I touch a hot stove. And my immediate reaction is to pull away. Okay. Then that's the sensory issue. Then we formulate a belief, a stove burns. Then we'll never go near a stove, whether it's on or not, because the stove burns, because we have fear of getting hurt. Yeah, and the sensory perception first, I see another stove, thus I must be careful. So the first when we, uh, after many years, we see another stove, we stay away because the sensory perception, which we see a stove, suddenly brings up that belief of the past. Brings the up the fear of getting hurt. Yeah. The fear yes. comes first, then the belief. I disagree with that, but it's fine. I, I think the belief okay. comes first. The, the, the belief creates the emotion <laughs> of fear. The belief creates the emotion of fear or whatever it is. That comes first. The belief comes instantly because the, we create our reality instantaneously. And our belief instantly shoots out and creates the world around us. And then followed by the emotion, if we sit in our room and suddenly a mouse crosses the, the floor, some people jump on the chair, being totally afraid. Immediately, mouse equals fear. It makes logically no sense. But we react because the belief mouth equals fear, something nasty immediately gives us emotion to jump up onto the chair. So I believe okay, yes, this yes, input yes. is the sight, what we see, and immediately that sight links with our belief from the past, and that belief gives us the emotion, adrenal or fear or depression or whatever it is. Yes, I'll, cor I'll stand corrected on that. But processing, a lot of the new age teachers and coaches are teaching to say affirmations to overcome the negative belief. However, if we now have an emotional charge attached to it, we can't change the belief. We have to release the emotional charge. I agree with that, yeah. I agree okay, with so that. I yeah, just can't correct it. Yeah where um, we do have to release that emotional charge. And sometimes just admitting what the core charge is can help release that. Also and understanding if not, that we, the mouse 
cannot be threatening me, sometimes not everybody will understand, okay, I can go down from my chair and stand and watch, look at the mouse because she will never attack me. But uh, initially the shock is so big. So some people need to go through the shock. Other people can do it with logical understanding that the mouse is surely not a threat to me and I can somehow do something about it. And that goes back to the way people process information. Like the Byron Katie is really good for processing intellectually and understanding. The Mm -hmm. emotional piece would be feeling the emotions and doing maybe uh, a form of tapping or EMDR, which is eye movement uh, desensitization reprocessing, another form of moving your eyes from side to side while asking specific questions to help transform the unconscious. There's also the Sedona method, which is asking, could I allow myself to feel this feeling? Could I let it go? Would I let it go? And when? And the the secret it, for me, even in working with clients, is to help them identify which process would work best for them. I also do a process of relaxation and then asking those questions that I discussed earlier. And people come up with the unconscious or subconscious uh, formations of their beliefs and feelings. So it's whatever works for each person. And ideally, if you have a lot of different tools, there's different ways of helping. I think there's one important, for me, the most important one, and you mentioned it before when you told us a story about when you went down on your knees and prayed, whatever it is, help me. The total surrendering to divinity. Using that Christ spark in ourselves, which is close to the fourth chakra area, or speaking to God and so on, totally surrender, I can't any further, help me. This total willingness of surrender is not for everyone, but it's in many, many cases, for me, it's, I think, the most powerful one because I had a similar situation as you have had in your life, Penny, and I think I will never forget that, how suddenly, without any logic, without any tricks, without any practice or method, but totally surrendering and admitting I cannot go any further. It's similar, I guess, AA works similar on this way, when you surrender totally, then let divinity help you, guide you. We do have all this enormous help from our guardian spirits which we, who surround us all the time, who want to help us. But if we don't ask them to help us or uh, use their help, then we struggle alone on our own. So I strongly believe in the divine help which we have all the time, 24 hours, helping us, wanting us to get out of our illusion, out of our dream. And if we surrender to them in the most simplistic, easy, simple, heartfelt words and feelings, I believe wonders can happen and wonders do happen. You know, Hans, I have to agree with you so much on that surrender factor, and I've been there a few times. And I think sometimes we get so busy in our head going, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be this tough person. And and we keep missing the answer in that process. And it's when we, we stop and we sit down and we just totally surrender in it. And, and I know that Penny's heard my story of last fall when I, 
hit the road to tour, and I had $500 in my pocket to make it cross-country. And I had I knew $500 wasn't going to get me cross-country to my venue. And I said to myself, okay, you know, great divine spirit, whatever, you know, you basically have put me on this path. You know, it's been my choice, and here I am. And, you know, I surrender to this process 100%. So now show me how to do it, take care of me, you know, get me there. Mm-hmm. And every step of the way, I had what I needed. It showed up from somewhere, wherever it was, because I was not going to buy into the belief that I was failed or doomed or couldn't succeed or any of that. I said, I'm just going to surrender to this process and I'm going to see what happens and see where it takes me. And every step of the way, I was taken care of. Yeah. And I think surrender, the other word we can use is also prayer. Prayer is very, very helpful. And uh, as Edgar Cayce says, every prayer is answered, but don't tell God how to answer it. This is the key. I mean, that is where we just read release God to divinity, what answer to the problem can be solved for us, or how we can see it differently or whatever it is. Not telling God what to do, but every prayer is, is, is answered, and every prayer is heard by our spiritual guides. And uh, whatever is, in the, everything what happens to us is only for our best. Even the most horrendous situation, illness or whatever it is, or death, everything at any given moment, everything is for the best. And this is a friendly universe. As I mentioned earlier, I made a book together with Byron Katie called The Friendly Universe. And I strongly believe that, that everything is here to help us, to assist us. We just have to open ourselves up, get away from this ego that I have to do it all, control it all, surrender, be open to it, and uh, accept the incredible help which is given to us from the divinity, from the guardian spirit, and knowing about the spiritual laws like karma, cause and effect, things coming back to us. And I invite again any list those interested to maybe watch some of my videos. They are very short on the uh, line WW, Life Explained. Once you see how simple everything is, it takes a lot of pressure away. We make it often so complex with our mind, but God is ingenious simplicity. simplicity. That's why a simple mind can reach God. And somebody who goes for years or years to theological seminars and so on may never reach God. God cannot reach through our brain, only through our heart. Yes, very very well said. And it's interesting that you bring up this aspect of divine will, and that's something that I put into my Genesis clearing statement, which I created, and it's the final piece of that, and it is that final piece is really about uh, uh, affirming to oneself that I am divine will, and and it's hard sometimes I think to see that this is for my benefit when it hurts, <laughs> whatever we're going through, we're dealing with, um, but that that alignment with divine will. When I understand divine will, divine will is not here to make me suffer. It's here to help me. It wants the best for me. It wants me to live 
most incredible experience that I can. And if I understand that piece, I have nothing to fear in it, no reason to do anything but surrender to it. I'd like to make two comments. First of all, we talk about prayer, but so many people have told me I pray and pray and pray, but my prayers aren't answered. So I would like to, so I would like to address how to pray effectively. And I came to this when I wrote one of my little ditties, which was The process of creation is like using a camera. You snap the picture, release the pressure, and take it all in stride to see what develops and develop what we see to make it come alive. And then I brought it down into what do we really have to do? In order to reach God, in order to pray effectively, we need to meditate and quiet ourselves first. Then call on divine light and love and surround yourself with it and let it enter into you. Can I just interrupt quickly, which I hate to do, but you did not do that when you went down on your knees. You didn't meditate it before. You were exhausted. Oh, I cried, and that was a form of letting go. Okay, but that, wait a minute now. That was a way of doing it unconsciously. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then I learned a way of doing effective prayer very consciously okay. by meditating first, quieting myself, opening to that channel of light and love, and asking to be surrounded by divinity, by angels, archangels, and spirit guides. And then the snap the picture by stating your intention or prayer. And God's will is my will. They're one and the same. And if we think it, feel it, see it as if we already have it. And this is what people, you know, there's the law of attraction and they say, think it and you'll get it. You have to feel as if you deserve it and you're worthy of it and already have it in order to get it. And then the next step is to release the pressure by letting go of the impression, giving it up to God. Then take it all in stride by remaining tension-free, which the practical step of surrendering is living totally in the present. Then you see what develops by observing and accepting what comes without judgment, expectations, or attachment to outcome. And then you develop what's seen by taking compassionate action. And then you make it come alive. It manifests in creation. And if anybody wants this little sheet on it, please email me at penny at pennycone.com and write Effective Prayer. And I also have an offering of words and phrases that keep us out of the present because total surrender is being totally in the present. And if a, a, a little sample of it would be words like, if only, that keeps us in regret of the past. 
Or what if keeps us in fear of the future? Or I'm sure you've all heard, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. It keeps you out of what is. So there are specific phrases we could start training ourselves not to use anymore that could help keep us more in the present. And I I have used some of that shift myself, Penny, so I can definitely vouch for the difference it's made in my life, for example, just consciously working on and I know I have to go in and do revisions on my book because of this because I, I just, my conscious is saying, you've got to revise your book now. <laughs> um, and that is letting go of the terms I want because it's not mm-hmm. acknowledging that we got it. You already have it. That's right. So definitely Are you sure that what you want is really right for you? I question it. I, I, I really come from a very different kind of perspective. I don't think we know what is right for us. We may think that person whom we love should stay in our relationship and we pray for it or the money we got. And I question that whether that is right. I think i rather come more and more to the point that I'm uh, going back to the example initially when with a film running through my head, head, which has all my beliefs, and if I clear my beliefs, I let more light coming through. And that light is the chi. That light is excitement. That light is ec- ecstasy. That light is joy. If I follow at any given moment during the day, that little feeling which comes through here and there, and more and more, the more I let go of my beliefs, that will guide me from moment to moment to an area or to a condition or a situation I cannot even perceive with my limitation. I don't know that maybe in next year I become an astrophysicist or whatever it is. It's not in my thinking now, but this may be my real path. So for me to put any images out there, what I want to have and where I should be, no longer is acceptable. This is my view. The only guidance I have is the joy, the excitement, and uh, what I have in me on a day-to-day basis, which guides me from moment to moment to maybe just make this phone call without expectation, see what happens, maybe something comes up, to go to this meeting or whatever it is, because I enjoy going there, not because I plan something out for it. I follow what is the old words, follow your bliss, which is the excitement. So I am here a little bit different than both of you, that I do not believe in creating big vision boards anymore. That was something we did in the 60s. But I think now it comes to the point, go with the direct voice of God. That is the excitement, the joy, and the ecstasy within you. That will guide you to exactly where you have to go, where your conscious mind doesn't know. But your higher self knows exactly where you ought to be, with whom you ought to be, and what you are going to do in 10 years' time or whatever it is. And my point of view on that is you set an overall umbrella clause, meaning I started with saying I'm finding and fulfilling my purpose. I'm finding and fulfilling my purpose. Every single day I woke up saying, I'm finding and fulfilling my purpose. So that's what I put out to God. And I was guided on how to do it. 
I was but you also, didn't have a clear purpose. Did you have a clear minute, purpose was, of your purpose, a clear picture? No. Okay, no. That's, I'm saying I had an umbrella clause of what I wanted to find <laughs> and fulfill my purpose. Okay. Not a how-to, just that I'm doing it. And also, though, I took a workshop with Joseph Campbell, who was the one who formulated this um, term that you mentioned, Hans, follow your bliss. My bliss at the time was trying to understand spirituality and the mystical experience that I had. It was also trying to figure out how to have a good, happy, permanent relationship. I was also questioning peak experiences. So the questions that I was asking is what I was being guided to. And ironically, the the longest story from uh, how I got to this is I started questioning how can you reach this state that I reached of feeling this unconditional love How can I reach it in a healthy, balanced way? I didn't have a vision. I had no clue as how to do it. How can I? It's more about questions we ask. How can I reach this in a healthy, balanced way? And I was literally guided over a 25-year period where I took a workshop in Kabbalah. And in the middle, it was a six-day workshop, and in the middle of the week, we did a meditation, and I saw a key pointing to the middle circle on the diagram called the Tree of Life, which to me meant this is a systematic approach to higher consciousness, how to get in touch with the divine and your higher self. And I kept reading more and more, and I started doing workshops in Kabbalah. And Hans, you and I were in the um, spiritual group when every so often I would say Kabbalistically they do it this way. And we walked out of your house, Hans, and Sheila, this woman, was in my ear, write me a proposal for a workbook on Kabbalah. I had never written before in my life. I wasn't a rabbi. I really wasn't a a deep student of the Torah. But I wrote a 60-page outline, and it was accepted. So to summarize and in some way agree with what you're saying, but the disagreement is that we still have an overall umbrella clause of what we want. I wanted to find and fulfill my purpose, and I was guided. And for me to think of writing a book on Kabbalah would probably be the last thing I would ever imagine doing. However, it came to me based on the questions I was asking, and the book is more about steps, practical steps on the tree of life in order to reach the divine, Meaning, how can I really be grateful from the inside out? How can I forgive from the heart, not just the head? 
How can I authentically be loving and kind? How can I truly be non-judgmental and non-critical? So what I'm saying is my overall clause of finding and fulfilling my purpose, along with following what I love to do, that's when I was guided by the divine. So you had a very broad picture and left it all open. Yeah, that's basically a good example, yeah. Right. So I still had a broad umbrella clause, is what I'm saying, an intention to put out there. Now, at the same time, I have seen people who really know what they love doing, like somebody wanted to become a veterinarian and own his own business, but he had a lot of obstacles. And so... He did put a vision board out of a specific house or business that he saw that he wanted to buy. And he kept that vision with openness of heart. The difference is whether you set an intention and have fears attached to it, you're not going to get it. And the other piece is, if I have a will for something, My will is divine will, and divine will is my will, meaning like you're passionate about writing books and illustrating children's books. So you keep doing it, and then more opportunities come to you. So I think we still can. I believe in the broad vision, so it leaves it up to things we would never imagine, like you said, um, but we can also ask for the smaller things. Then we, some people know they love what they're doing. And that if they love it, if there's passion around it, then it is right for you. And I'm going to have to jump in here because our time is winding down. <laughs> so I'm going to let each of you give a closing comment and share your website, how people can get hold of you and go from there. Would you like to go well, first, I want to Tom? thank you again for inviting us. It was wonderful for me and to share it also with Penny together. We are an old team here together and it's, it's always fun. And uh, as I said, those who wish to see, watch those videos, go to uh, www.lifeexplained.com and I would like to leave with one little affirmation which you may want to consider throughout the day say i am the fullness feel these and feel this information and a lot of pressure may go wonderful and penny and for me if anybody would like the one sheet on effective prayer i'm happy to email it to you and i also have one on words and phrases that keep you out of the present please email me at penny at pennycohen.com, and you can either mention this show or effective prayer or words and phrases. And my website is pennycohen.com. And I would also like to mention that Hans and I, if you're in the Connecticut area on February 11th, we are doing a presentation at Life Balance Institute on love, appropriate for Valentine's Day. And my bottom line is stay open to unconditional love. 
Wonderful. And and you've both shared so much and given so many insights. And I had some great comments coming in. I had uh, people commenting that this is just such a great conversation going on here uh, from the chat room. They were going to come back and they'll they'll be back to listen to the rest of it in the archives, <laughs> which is always wonderful. And it's great that we do have those. So if you, anybody out there listening missed any part of this show, you can catch it that way. And I just deeply thank both of you for giving your time and sharing the wealth of, of wisdom that you have. And it's just been enough so pleasure. We're losing you, uh, Jesse. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been an absolute pleasure to have both of you on, on the show today. Us as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And as we go on here, um, next week I'm actually going to be doing my own show on relationships, and I'm going to be taking a look at things that you can do to create a great Valentine's Day for a partner if you're if you're with a partner. And I'm also going to be looking a little bit at how to bring in that partnership that's truly fulfilling for you. Um, if you'd like to check out the work I do, I have videos that I put out every month. They're on my website. I have other little video things that come up along the way. And um, they're available on my website. I have monthly specials that are on there. This month I have a little special that's running that's just a little great peek into the year for you. It's a fun uh, reading type thing that uses the subconscious to help you understand uh, what your subconscious, what your real self is asking you, your divine self is asking you to focus on right now. And it gives insights on that. So you can check out anyways all of those things uh, that, that I have going on on my website at jessianniblegeorge1.com. Again, I do have the dates set for the eight seasonal events coming up this year. And uh, the exact locations will be getting added along the way. There are going to be many events getting added over I would say the next month or so here on things, so watch for those to pop up. They're going to be all over the U.S. You can catch me, contact me if you want to connect or pop in, say hi at an event someplace. Um, just let me know. And if you've got something that you want to have created while I'm in, in your area, check with me and see, and let's see if we can work something out on that. Don't forget we do have several shows here on Main Street Universe throughout the week. And um, we're doing a little shifting in our programming. So we do still have the spiritual insights with Darren Bucare. Uh, this past week he tagged on to our flagship show, Main Street Universe, with Daniel and Janice. So the flagship show was in the first hour, and Darren Bucare was in the second hours with his spiritual insights. Monday nights we do have Randy Goldberg on with aesthetic astrology, also bringing on guests and talking about that. Tuesdays we have Susan Weed who shares her expertise in herbs and natural plants. Um, of course, Wednesday is a flagship show. We have some shows that are rotating in and out. I believe this upcoming week or in the next couple of weeks, we have another show going on with Woven Green, Jim and Ashley Cash. Check their show out and what they're doing with that. And uh, Kevin Baird's working on bringing some new uh, information and topics into a show as well. So just got to stay tuned on Main Street Universe and see what's going to happen with it. And then, of course, Fridays is Activating Compassion Radio. Hey, this is Jesse Ann Nichols-George. Thank you so much for being here. And again, thanks to all of our listeners, not only on Blog Talk Radio, but those streaming live on PEN, known as Parent Encounters Network, 
StreamFinder, and TalkStream Live, as well as those catching our podcasts, iTunes, and TuneIn.com, and those catching the YouTube version of our show as well. I look forward to seeing you back here next week as we delve more into activating compassion. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed the show today, share it with others. It's going to be available at this very same link in our archives. And I'm going to leave you with the song, Yearning For It, also known as Over and Over by Shemshai. And by the way, you can check out their work. They're getting ready to release some new CDs, and sometimes they have some free demos you can pick up as far as sample songs and things like that. You can follow all of that on their website, www.shemshai.com. That's S-H-I-M-S-H-A-I.com. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on Activating Compassion Radio. May you enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a truly amazing week. And if I could see what makes me blind I would soar to the edge of my mind And to touch what seems unreal Just to show you the way that I feel And we are in time with time one with season of change inside And we are in tune with the tune Caught in a balance of sun and moon Oh, deep inside the light within Shining to show you it's here to begin all I have is all I need I will soar to the edge of eternity And we see in eye to eye One within love to be for the divine And we're walking hand in hand God in the balance of God and